Survival of the Fittest, Men Against Beasts, Men Against Bugs, Which War Are We Winning? How Do We Get the Bugs Out of the System? To find out, be happy you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and joining me today at the Clinician's Roundtable is Dr. Joseph Bocchini. Dr. Bocchini is a professor and chairman of the Department of Pediatrics at the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in Shreveport. He is chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Today we are discussing what's new in vaccines, beating back the bugs, consensus or controversy. Welcome, Dr. Bocchini, and thank you for joining me at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Dr. Rutenberg. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm sure you're tired of talking about Hurricane Katrina, but everybody loves a real-life story, and they certainly stay with us a lot longer than data and facts. Was there anything from Katrina that you could relate to us on how vaccines made real differences? I think there are a couple of lessons that we learned from Katrina related to immunizations. Remarkably, after Katrina and with all of this, the social disruption and the flooding, there was no significant outbreak of a vaccine-preventable disease that we saw subsequent to Katrina. So I think that the immunization rates that we have in our state, even though they're not the best in the country, were still very helpful in reducing the risk of vaccine-preventable disease. The other thing that turned out to be really important uh, as a result of the hurricane was, as you know, there was a considerable disruption of our population, and our population in Louisiana was distributed across the United States. Our uh, immunization registry was made available to all 50 states, and as a result, uh, public health people from all 50 states were able to access our immunization, the immunization records of the children who were in each of their uh, areas and were able to continue their immunization schedule to determine their immunization status. So one thing we learned that was really important is the, the ability to to find immunizations on a registry turned out to be a very effective way to determine where we were and help those children who were behind. Has that lesson been generalized? In other words, either through efforts of the American Academy of Pediatrics or state organizations to establish immunization registries elsewhere? I think that there has certainly been a commitment by the AAP to um, attempt to bring registries forward, and uh, certainly the Centers for Disease Control would certainly consider this as a good example. They have been working very hard to attempt to not only develop uh, registries in each state, but to develop a, a national network whereby immunization records would be readily available to any individual, no matter what state they're in, no matter what state the individual came from. The sort of plate of immunizations continues to grow and get more full. What's on the agenda? What's new for 2007? Well, the most recent changes have been minor, but they've been important. One, at the uh, June meeting of the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, two significant changes were made to the immunization uh, recommendations. One, pediatricians and other primary care physicians have been giving meningococcal conjugate vaccine in two age cohorts at 11 and a year to 12 years of age and at age 15 or upon entry to high school, whichever came first. Because of improved supply of meningococcal conjugate vaccine, the committee made the decision to recommend this vaccine for universal use in all adolescents from age 11 through 18. So this will simplify the recommendation for primary care physicians so that any adolescent being seen within this age group uh, who has not had meningococcal conjugate vaccine will now be able to get the vaccine at that visit. 
this will also enable us to cover not only the children at highest risk for meningococcal disease, but all adolescents who are at high risk. This recommendation doesn't change the additional recommendation for immunizing those individuals who are entering college who have not had the uh, immunization before, uh, either because they're entering college or because they're entering college and living in a dormitory, they need to have uh, this vaccine as well. The second change is related to hepatitis A vaccine. In the past, uh, because there was no significant data uh, on the use of hepatitis A vaccine post-exposure to hepatitis A, immune globulin was considered the appropriate therapy to prevent hepatitis A after exposure in individuals who have not been given hepatitis A vaccine previously. There is new data. A study that was done by the Centers for Disease Control looked at the efficacy of immune globulin versus hepatitis A vaccine given to individuals within two weeks of an exposure to hepatitis A infection. The study showed that the vaccine was as effective as immune globulin in preventing hepatitis A infection following exposure. As a result, hepatitis A vaccine is now preferred uh, for post-exposure prophylaxis because it offers significant advantages over immune globulin. One is that it produces active, long-lasting immunity, so you essentially are beginning to immunize the individual against not only this exposure, but potentially subsequent exposures to hepatitis A. And then number two, it is much more available now than immune globulin. We've seen some significant difficulties in obtaining immune globulin today. And third, the vaccine is readily available. So those two are the major uh, changes that occurred just in June. In addition, on a vote that was taken earlier in the year, the recommendation of now is that for varicella protection, uh, we will move to a two-dose regimen to offer protection against varicella. The uh, evidence has emerged that one dose of varicella vaccine provides about 85% protection against a case of varicella and there's another maybe 10% protection against more serious varicella. So an individual who has a single dose of varicella vaccine will experience breakthrough disease maybe up to about 1% per year, up to about 10% total over time. A second dose of vaccine provides a better immune response and results in about 95% protection against uh, breakthrough disease. So what we have found is that a single dose of varicella vaccine, although it protects most individuals from severe disease, is not able to fully prevent varicella outbreaks in a classroom setting or other close setting where there are a large number of children. And therefore, a two-dose regimen offers a better opportunity to control the disease. So now the current recommendation is a single dose of varicella vaccine uh, at 12 to 15 months, followed by a second dose at four to six years, along with other vaccines that are given prior to entry to school. We'd like to come back to this in just a moment and welcome those who may be just joining us and letting them know they're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Joseph Bocchini, Chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We are discussing an update on immunizations. Just to reiterate, the two-dose schedule is expected to allow us to have better control 
of varicella within classrooms and in daycare centers and other places where larger groups of children come together. Is some of this sort of a tribute to the success of the vaccine that nobody's getting exposed to chickenpox anymore and therefore we've lost our exposure to the natural booster? It is. And, and when we started, we thought that a single episode of varicella produced lifelong immunity, the natural infection. What we're finding is that uh, persistence of immunity uh, probably occurred because of multiple exposures over time, providing subclinical boosts in immune response. And interestingly, when the first studies were done on varicella vaccine, the titers against varicella were higher five years out from the vaccine than they were within the few months after the vaccine was given. Uh, probably now we know that represents uh, natural boosts of immunity uh, due to natural infection. Since most people are not being boosted because the control of varicella is such that uh, the number of cases are down by 70 plus percent in the United States, we're seeing that the immunity does tend to wane. And uh, as a result, this second dose is going to enable us to provide better protection long-term against varicella. What would you recommend for the child who had varicella, had the disease, say, when they were two, three years old, now we're going out 15, 18 years, should they have their varicella antibody titer tested to see whether or not they should get the vaccine? At the present time, we wouldn't uh, recommend doing that. One of the problems with measuring varicella antibody is that uh, most of the commercial titers that are available are not sensitive enough to detect whether an individual has antibody. So at the present time, we would not recommend routinely screening for presence of antibody to determine susceptibility. No, but those that had the disease would be antibody positive, correct? So I'm talking about the group that had the disease as an infant, now they're 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're saying that we once thought immunity was lifelong, but it doesn't appear to be even in those who receive the disease. So I'm wondering, should their antibody levels be tested to make sure we're not developing an at-risk population of adults? Well, the risk to those individuals potentially would be zoster rather than chickenpox. And now there's Zostavax. And now there's Zostavax. And uh, right now, Zostavax is licensed for individuals 60 years of age and older as a single dose to attempt to boost immunity to reduce the risk of development of not only zoster, but even more importantly, post-herpetic neuralgia, which is a very serious complication of shingles. A couple of moments on the controversies. Menactra Guillain-Barre syndrome. The data that is currently available for the Centers of Disease Control um, is that, well, just to take a step back, there have been approximately 21 cases of Guillain-Barre reported to the VAERS system in individuals who have uh, received Menactra. 19 of those 21 cases have occurred in, in adolescents who received the vaccine. The Centers for Disease Control uh, has completed a number of studies to determine whether those cases occurred um, as a result of the vaccine or were just temporarily associated with the use of the vaccine. The data that's available so far indicates that we can't say for sure whether there's an association between the vaccine and Guillain-Barre syndrome. And one of the reasons for that is that the number of doses of vaccine that have been given are not high enough for us to really look at a rare event and determine whether it's, been, it's associated with the vaccine. Comparing the number of cases in vaccine recipients relative to the number of doses that have been distributed, 
to a database looking at the background incidents of Guillain-Barre in adolescence. It appears that from the data we have, and again, the databases are subject to significant error, raises the possibility that there may be a slight increase in the incidence of Guillain-Barre syndrome amongst vaccine recipients when compared to the general population. That translates, based on the data that the CDC has at this point, to potential of an excess case of about one excess case of Guillain-Barre per million doses of vaccine that are given out. Thank you very much, and unfortunately, our time is just again gone by so quickly. I want to thank Dr. Joseph Bocchini, who has been our guest. We have been discussing an update on immunizations. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.